Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Sammy. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. Oh, and gentlemen, are we ready for tonight? Because we are kicking off our Tricks and Treats month here at the Roundtable. And we are kicking off with 1931's Frankenstein. Boris Karloff, Colin Clive, Dwight Fry, Edward Van Sloan. This is a classic, gentlemen. But I'm interested to see what you all thought about this. Well, this is one of those early classics directed by James Well, who mm-hmm. done a, a bucket loads of these uh you know, universal horror movies, the invisible man, brother Frankenstein, all, all is, I mean, uh, I think he's for most of them on there. So uh, decisions were made. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> There's definitely things to be discussed. <laughs> well, you know, this movie is almost a hundred years old, so let's keep it. 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right. I don't know how smooth of a segue that was. But, uh, <laughs> I love we don't do smooth it. segues on this show. No, no, <laughs> we're not. bringing nerds. your smooth segues up in our awkward business. That's right. <laughs> we're not supposed to be smooth, all right? We're nerds. Like a Mack truck going out of stairs to case. <laughs> All right, guys. I guess I am kicking us off with Keep It 100 this week. I've got my timer up and starting. Um, You know, I've got a bit of a different Keep It 100 this week. Uh, As many of our listeners know, I'm a huge fan of Golden Age comic books. You know, this was a time where Jack wasn't the king yet, and Stan Lee was simply Stanley Lieber. Uh, Superman couldn't even fly at this point. Many of the big two characters of this era still do remain in publication today, but there are a number of Golden Age characters that were from smaller publishing companies that have fallen into public domain. Enter, and I'm not sure how you pronounce this publishing company, Guandanaland Comics. I'm a phonics kid. Um, So Guandanaland Comics uh, has this goal of reprinting original Golden Age stories of these little-known characters. So you can find complete collections of the Black Terror, Shield Wizard comics, and Blue Bolt. Um, It won't come as a surprise to you all that uh, I purchased the first two volumes of the Golden Age Adventures of the Blue Beetle from this company. Um, <laughs> they do sell exclusively through Amazon. So it's easily accessible, easy to get to. So if you want to travel back to a time when comic books were really starting out, uh, check out Guandongland Comics on Amazon. And that's my Keep It 100 for this episode. Okay. Um <laughs> That may play into our episode a little bit later on. <laughs> there may be a connection there. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll get into it. This may we may circle back to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'm up next. <laughs> All right. Let me start my timer. All right. So I'm this week. My keeping 100 is 
a manga series called All You Need Is Kill. Number one, that's an awesome name. <laughs> that is 13-year-old Jamie thinks that's the greatest name ever. <laughs> but it is the manga that Edge of Tomorrow was based on. Um, and uh, I recently got a subscription to Shonen Jump, and it was all sitting there for me. I'm like, man, this is what Edge of Tomorrow came from. I've got to at least try. I've got to read the first chapter. And it's really good. It's similar enough that you can see. Like, you can connect the dots, and it's fun to compare and contrast. The things they changed, like who Tom Cruise's character, how that was changed and adapted from the manga to the movie. Um, it's really interesting, the comparisons with Rita especially, um, how, how different she is and, and what they chose to keep, what they chose to tinker with. It, it, it's very interesting. But but that that level of story, fighting the mimics and how intense that emotion is, like that dying and repeating and all that. I mean, t- told in that over-the-top, intense manga form, it really works as a manga. And I'm several chapters in now. I was just nice. going to try out the first <laughs> one, and I'm going to finish it, man. I'm going to read all of it. Um, the art is great. And like I said, it's ju- it really is just interesting. As, you know, as we are, we're fans of the movie. To get to see the, wh- what little nuggets grew into other things and what things they completely, you know, just are completely turned on their head. It, it's fascinating on that level to read as well. So my keeping hunter is all you need is kill. Cool. Is, and I'm, do, I'm, do you get J Squad? Maybe Ish. I'm still I'm still I'm still. And there's a Sarge who is very much not Bill Paxton. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I like him, but he is not Bill Paxton. <laughs> Every no time you say that 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 title, though, I'm getting the horn section from All You Need Is Love in my head. That would not be a direct adaptation. <laughs> I think instead of a horn section, we need different calibers of handgun. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to finish us out on our keeping it 100 as I bring my timer up and start. Well, guys, this week has been very hectic. I hardly had time to get into anything extra aside from this movie. And even this movie was a challenge at times. But I did get... Sadly, halfway through, not completed <laughs> episode uh, six of What If. And this is the one where Killmonger rescues Stark. So what if Killmonger rescues Tony Stark after the attack of the Ten Rings? So he doesn't go to the cave. He doesn't meet Yusuf. He doesn't get the arc reactor uh, and all of those things. One of the things I loved about this episode is it brought in the style of the Black Panther movies music. That hip-hop mixed with tribal, mixed with electronica, mixed with actual, you know, orchestral score. And it, it just brought me back to that movie and and how much uh, of of a neat take on it that was, you know, because you had a different culture, you had a different uh, view of heroes, you had a different uh, view of, you know, race and the relationships there and how all of that music binds it together. You know, you have, like I said, the Eastern, uh, you know, uh, European orchestral stuff. You have hip hop mixed with electronic and mixed with the tribal things. And, and it's just so great. And I love it so much. So that's my keeping it 100. 
I love that we all stayed on brand. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy's loving old stuff. Little. I'm reading comics and Dwayne's loving music. <laughs> it's on brand, baby. <laughs> hey, we, we, we represent what we got, right? <laughs> well, speaking of a brand, I'm sure Frankenstein, since Mary Shelley's novel, has become quite uh, eponymous. If that's even, I'm not sure what words I'm using here. Um, it's been long, uh, but it's it's you know kind of its own brand. It's kind of its own thing, and that's what we're here to talk about. This is an adaptation. As I'm looking here, uh, based on the composition by, based on the novel by, adapted from the play by. You know, that's the writer's credits. Like <laughs> Jamie, why don't you go ahead and lead us off with our keeping it, or not with her, uh, but with her opening thoughts and grades. I don't know how to grade this thing. Um, I mean, I, I, understand, I, I get that it was groundbreaking. Um, this was a revolution in filmmaking and storytelling. I, I get it. Um, it was a long time ago, guys. <laughs> and um, I know I know, I hurt Sammy when I talk about how much I don't like old comics and can't, and can't read them. Um, but this is where we're circling back. So Sammy can go back and read those reprints of like 1940s or, or whenever that was, Blue mm-hmm. Beetle comics. I'm just going to like salute them and move on and maybe read some new Blue, Blue Beetle comics. I'm I'm happy those existed because we got the new stuff. I'm not interested in reading them. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Um, it's cool that it exists. Um, it's cool that they did revolutionary things in filmmaking and that – um, you know, we've, we've gotten bigger and better things because it existed. Um, it also hurts me to think someday the matrix is going to be looked at that way. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so as far as my grade goes on legacy level, I'm going to go a plus. I, I, I get that this thing has a very special place in filmmaking. I get it. Enjoyment level was maybe like a C minus. <laughs> I was bored to tears. <laughs> The, the, the phone test was failed so hard. <laughs> by, by, by the end, I was playing Merge Mansion, dude. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no. Not a bit. Not a bit. <laughs> well, well, I'm up next. And, Jamie, you, you've kind of touched on uh, some, of my, uh, some of my thoughts and struggles with this thing. It's such a classic. It, like you said, it's one of these things that you need to familiarize yourself with. It's it's something that you need to see just because of what it did with storytelling, what it did with filmmaking, uh, you know, what it did with establishing these characters in this universe, this universal universe uh, here. Now, is it enjoyable? I didn't have a great time watching it. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know preface this a little bit later in my pan section. Uh, I probably did something I shouldn't have done, but I, it, it happened. But uh, th- this is a movie that I'm I'm glad I watched. I'm glad I experienced. I'm glad I saw it. But really, as far as enjoyment goes, C minus. It's it's kind of cool. I can't give it a don't watch because I really want to advocate for people to watch, you know, these classics and familiarize yourself with this type of storytelling. Because if you don't have this type of storytelling, you don't have, you know, the movies we have today, really, and that evolution. So, but you know, it's it's 
almost like you know homework. So uh, everybody loves doing homework. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Well, it was from the teacher, wasn't it? (laughs) Hey, what can I say? <laughs> All right, let me let let me ask you guys this. But before I kind of go into my opening thoughts, had either of you really watched this movie before, or or it's been a number of years since you've really ever watched it? Long, long time since I was this, a kid. Mm-hmm. This was okay. My, so it was this your was first watch through. Yeah, and, okay. and you know that's something that I was like, wow, I really should have been familiar right. with this. Okay, so I th- I really think that's where this part of this comes from for me. Um, you know, I was introduced to the Universal Monsters at a really young age, uh, and I've always had a soft spot for them. Um, Remco put out three and three four inch action figures of these characters, like Star Wars size, yeah. uh, in the in the early '80s, and I loved those action figures. Um, I couldn't hardly ever stay up, but Chiller Theater you know, would take a lot of these characters, even the creature from the black lagoon got a 3d, uh, showing, and you would go to one of the local restaurants and you got 3d glasses at the local restaurant. So you could watch it on TV. Uh, so I've been watching these for a very, very long time. I even remember in grade school watching Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein in the school gym as a reward for good grades. All right. It was that kind of thing. So the story of Frankenstein especially has always been one of my favorites um, and specifically the Karloff portrayal will always be my ideal version of the creature. Um, I won't pass up versions because here's the really interesting thing. All the people that have played the monster, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. played the monster at one point. Christopher Lee has played the monster. Even Bela Lugosi has played Frankenstein's monster at one point. Uh, so this is an iconic character. I'm, and like I said, I've got this soft spot for this whole franchise. Can't help it. It's just one of those things. And that's why I wanted this because I wanted 1931's version on our list because I agree with you guys. It's it's not for everybody, but it should be on everybody's watch list at least once to know that you've seen what groundbreaking cinema was. Because this is where we get the beginnings. You know, people talk about um, all the Friday the 13th movies in the 80s and all the sequels. This movie has countless sequels. And a lot of people don't think about it. Between Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein, House of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein. And they all carry off of this first movie. Um, So I went with an A-. minus. Because I do have few issues, but once again, this is something I've loved for a long time. And and you, and you may be right. I mean, I I, I absolutely practice chronological snobbery. I mean, <laughs> 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 I, I can't go past about 1973 in comics. I can't go past like Hitchcock in movies. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know the 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 filmmaking language is so different uh, the framing the uh, pacings the uh, story beats that they have to hit throughout is so different than what we have today you know like you said even in the last you know few decades and one of the things that, that really drew me out of it is the i guess the the acting you know you really see these people acting 
And and as I saw some some things, you know, people hanging out the windows or the, or the group in the street, you know, you you see them like animate their faces or, or like it's almost like they come alive when the camera goes by. It's almost like you can see them say, "Action, you're you're on," you know. And so they go from like unanimated to like, ah, you know. And uh, that really kind of took me out of it some, and I, and it some some scenes reminded me of. You know, some of the little people uh, from you know, the Wizard of Oz and and some stuff that you would see in uh, you know certain scenes in, in Gone with the Wind, you know, and, and it's of this era. It's it's what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and this is and this was thirty one. You know, this was what eight years before those. So this is when these beats and these storytelling tropes were being established. These styles, I guess. And if you think about Lugosi's Dracula came out before this movie. So oh, really? Got, yeah. So Dracula with, with Bela Lugosi was one of the, the first movies in this series. And then Frankenstein followed that up. Now, see, I thought this was the first one, but Dracula was first. Yeah, okay. Dracula was the first because mm-hmm. Edward uh, Van Sloan that plays uh, the doctor in this was also in Dracula. He was uh, Van Helsing. And then Dwight Fry, who is Fritz in this movie, was also Renfield in Dracula. So they those oh. characters were pulled over. So, Interesting. The old studio yep. system. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I've seen all these movies because TBS had the rights to them, and they would do those monster movie marathons. Yep. And so I've seen all of them, but I, I don't I don't remember them very well. I guess I was too young, and it didn't have the same kind of like. Um, I didn't hook me the way it hooked you. Yeah. And so I, I didn't have like the incredible nostalgia and fondness for it going back to it, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if we hurry. And with <laughs> all the 93 <laughs> sequels that you have with this movie, I, I had conflated different things, you know, thinking that I, thinking it was in different movie, you know, right. Different, different, I did six, the different scenarios, yep. you know, you're like, Oh yeah. Uh, oh, it's not there. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, I know I know we need to kind of get back on our set here, but, you know, Bride is actually the better of the two movies. So the sequel, once again, is, is the better. Um, but I just wanted to get this movie because this this has a lot of things that carry and become iconic. But Bride of Frankenstein is a oh, much yeah. stronger movie. Well, I'm, I'm truly glad I saw it and I'm really excited interesting to continue the conversation with you guys in our fan section so let's go ahead and mosey on over Oh goodness, I'm leading off. <laughs> <laughs> What's your fan doing? So anyway, um, <clears throat> maybe I, think I should have vamped a little bit longer there, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, seriously. Uh, in in our fan section, you know, it really, like I said, there wasn't a lot about the movie I enjoyed, but one of the things I, you know, I, I was able to see a classic monster movie establishing the genre establishing you know the horrors the scares the you know maniacal professors you know how how many crazy dr frankenstein clones have we seen throughout the years 
you know, so when you know, you, so we see the origins of all that here. Then that's really my fan. It's just you know what this established, and and what ground it sets on as a classic. Yep, and you know, mine kind of follows right with that. You know, the Karloff version of Frankenstein is probably one of the most recognizable and iconic images in the monster genre, and I think that comes down to two innovators, Jack Pierce. And Kenneth Strickfadden. Uh, Jack Pierce was the makeup artist for most of these early Universal films. And, you know, Pierce created this vision of the creature that still holds true today. The bolts, the flat head, the forehead gash. You know, all of those things are part of the, when you imagine Frankenstein's creation, those are things that pop in our head. And yes, you've got Herman Munster that, that, that played off of that. You've got so many things that followed. The other one is, like I said, Kenneth Strickfadden. That, he was the lighting engineer who created all the effects during the creation scene. And, you know, obviously, you know, Dwayne was talking about every mad scientist that came later. You know, every mad scientist laboratory was based on this. This was the beginning of that flashing lights and twisting, you know, sparks and all the things that we see that carries on through even today. So that was kind of my fan for it. It was also both of my fans. (laughs) (laughs) I was either going to go with the Frankenstein character design or the setting design for the lab. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have and, anything else written down. Sorry. And and if you watched uh, the the X ray on uh, on Prime, those are not bolts. Those are electrodes. Yes, they are. There is electrodes. <laughs> those are the the negative and the positive. You know. Yeah, but I'll just add my two cents, and uh, and what I agree with everything Sammy said. I mean, those are. I mean, it it's the prototype for every mad scientist lab that's ever been, um, and everybody's working off of that. Um, but I, I do, this, this is probably importing comic book lingo because I don't know the right lingo for movies, but the Frankenstein character design, I mean, it, it's just, it's awesome. It's iconic. And um, and I don't think it's been improved upon. Um, I mean, this is still, I mean, yeah, it, you can tell at times that they didn't have quite, like the, de- like, the technological development we've had in makeup ever since. There's a couple of yeah. little things here and there. But man, it looks good. Even the scars they put on him, they, those look like real scars. It looks really good. And it's just iconic. And so, I I, I I, mean, I don't have a lot of fans. <laughs> but I, I do. I love the Frankenstein character design. So, I'm, I'm glad you called that out. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, our next segment is the pan section. And the only segue I've got is I think it was probably Fritz's job to do all the cooking. Uh, but I didn't <laughs> see any pans and I ain't eating off anything he cooked on. Nope. All right, guys. I guess I'm leading off on pans. And yes, I picked this movie. Um, I do love this movie. You know, but there is one, I guess, a couple little things that still bother me. And that's why I went A minus. Like I said, Bride is the, is the more superior movie, but I love this one. But the biggest thing is the third act. Okay. There are a lot of holes in the third act. It doesn't affect the progression of the plot. But when you look closer, there's some cheating going on. Like, who found Dr. Waldman's body? 
We're like, oh, they found Dr. Waldman's body. He was in, you know, the old place stuck against the wall where the monster, you know, who found him? Who was up there? We don't know. How did the creature find Frankenstein's house? <laughs> you know, it's not like, like he had Siri to go, ah, Siri, where's house? <laughs> you know, kind of deal. You know, he does talk in the second movie, by the way. Uh, but so how did he get there? We don't know. So there's no progression with that. We just have to accept it. It's kind of glossed over. Uh, it gets us to that final confrontation that that we all want to see, you know, the the, the creator versus the, the creature, you know. But there's a few things glossed in between, I think, especially that third act. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that some of those, stuff that, that, that a few of those moments were things they really liked from the book and wanted to do a kind of a version of. Because mm-hmm. in the book, there is a scene where Frankenstein's monster attacks, you know, the the lady love of Doctor Frankenstein, and mm-hmm. and they wanted to, it's a powerful moment. They wanted to go with that. Yes. They didn't have they didn't have the stones to go all the way with it, um, or maybe they didn't think the audience would handle it. But because um, in the book, she dies, right? Yeah, am I, remember, am I misremembering this? Yeah, she. I believe yeah, he, so. Yeah, he yeah. kills her. Um, uh, so my my pain for this is this is not fair. I'm being mean. I'm I'm chronological snobbery all over the place this movie is so poorly edited i mean it's tough i mean like a couple of examples like there's the there's the dance like the the villagers are dancing before the wedding and it just skips and i don't even try to hide it it's not smooth over it just skips there's one couple dancing like you can see the screen skip and then there's like a different couple dancing there and then the little girl is like she's beside the water she's playing with her cat it skips. There's no cat. She's just walking toward <laughs> the monster. And every time it would do that, it would just, it made me cringe. <laughs> it was just, uh, and, and it was, it was really distracting. Every time it would do that and they would just do these wheelie. And I know, and probably nobody cared at the time. It wasn't a thing. Um, film quality may have hid some of that form. I, I don't know. But for me, every time one of those really terrible edits happened, like it hurt me. Like, I mean, <laughs> there was, near physical pain it was bad it made it a tough watch for me those little yeah 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 it was and you know i I purchased this because i knew i wouldn't be able to get through it and just you know the the amount of time i had on the rental so i went ahead and purchased it and and as I hit the per, the the purchase, you know, it shows up on Prime and it says, okay, you can purchase it in in 4K ultra high definition for this much money. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's see other purchasing options because I don't feel like I need a 31 movie <laughs> in 4K ultra HD. You know, and and it was the same price for the SD version. So I'm like, well, sh- let's let's go ultra 4K HD for the same price, you know. <laughs> So I mean, it's, I don't know if that hurt or helped the edits. Just like just like you're saying there. <laughs> yeah, I watched an HD version, and it I it probably was a hindrance. <laughs> yeah, you know, probably, probably could have used some of that 30s, 30s fuzz there. Yeah, <laughs> but, just a uh, little bit less yeah. pixels probably would have helped that, right? Let's <laughs> be <laughs> But no, I, I I'm gonna tell you what I, what I was alluding to earlier. I probably did the worst thing that I could have done watching this movie. And I want to highly recommend listening to the book. And if you are in the Pike County library system, download the overdrive app. This book is always available. It has an always available tag on it. So you can get it anytime. 
It's an eight and a half hour listen. Pretty, pretty brisk for a book, you know, uh, and it's told very, very well. And I, I fell in love with it instantly. I fell in love with the narrative uh, of Dr. Frankenstein. I fell in love with the monster's narrative, how articulate he was, how he had grown through being with this family, how he had hunted and plotted and connived and desired to be accepted his vengeance against Dr. Frankenstein. And then I get this movie. Totally different. And it's completely a different story. And, you know, you have the monster in a very, and I understand this is the first little bit where he's being created, but you know, in the book, that's a very quick transition. It's okay. All this built up here. I made him, it happened. We have life. Let's move on, mm-hmm. you know, and then you get into the real meat of the, of the story of the relationship, the confrontation, the, the prejudices of Dr. Frankenstein, the, um, an acceptance of Frankenstein's monster. You have, you know, the desire to be more than he is, uh, the physical, uh, ability and strength that he possesses. The way his mind was able to to comprehend things and learn is was so beautiful and so awesome, and 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 then I get this movie and it's so <laughs> poor. You know, it's so poor. And I hate you know the changes that they made there. They they could have they 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 could have told such a better story. But and, and they even changed from Victor Frankenstein to Henry Frankenstein. I was gonna say, did you notice they transposed Henry and Victor and, and Fritz, who was the who was the young man in the in the cabin, you know, to, to some other person. I mean, I'm just like, what the heck are you guys doing here? You know? And, uh, it, it was just kind of a shock and I really had a hard time, uh, with that juxtaposition, uh, from, of, of narratives that, that they took, you know, they, they took like the smallest narrative from that story and made a movie out of it when they, when they really missed the heart of the movie. And I, I've seen, uh, I've seen a thing doing some research on this and, and, and apparently had asked a group of students, you know, to, to read this and, and, you know, an, an essay on it. And, and the basic view from these students were, well, Frankenstein was just misunderstood and prejudiced against. Yeah. That's what the story is about. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the story. And, and it's not, yeah. Not exactly here because you you don't have a you don't have a sentient growing person. You have a cruel monster, you know who who's just out for harm. It seems like. Yeah, that was probably not the best way to watch this movie. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's why I said I, that was probably the worst thing I could yeah. have done. Not being familiar with the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, I mean, I, I don't practice chronological, chronological snobbery on books. I love old books. Uh, yeah, the, yeah the only, I, I love, I adore the Frankenstein novel. Um, only one of my I favorites. The book was I have trouble with that era because they they start their books out in letter form. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's just like a, a, a list of correspondences, but then the narrative takes off. Yeah. 
you know, pretty pretty quickly, and it really really gathers steam. And and I'm wondering how much of a revolution in writing that was at that time. You know, to to go into a straight narrative after you know that 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 letter exchange form. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Kenneth Branagh Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is a much better adaptation of the book. This is not an adaptation of the book at all. So I'll even admit that freely. <laughs> all right, fellas, we've we've done a lot of fanning and panning here. Let's get let's you know this movie's a classic. Surely we can give some awards to a classic. Surely. Noodle. All right, well, I'm first out of the gate with best performance, and this is my, I mean, I should have went with this for my fan, but I wanted to save it for the award. <laughs> I think Colin Clive as Dr. Frankenstein is mesmerizing. Um, he is the most unique actor in this movie. He's got this crazy sort of like, ah, just over the top manic energy. He's like an actor from a different era who got plopped into this era of movies. And uh, I don't know if it's actually good acting or not. But I, but when he was on scene, like I wasn't looking at my phone, I was looking at him, the things he was doing with his face, and I just, I know it's over the top, and probably for that era, it was way over the top, because everybody else is just really sort of, I'll be nice and say they were acting subtly, um, but but he he was he was I mean he had turned it up to eleven, and I just I really enjoyed his performance. Okay. Well, you know, this was, I'm looking at his filmography because he was doing some stuff. He was doing some different stuff on screen than a lot of people were. But this was only his second role. Hmm. I'm looking at his first role was uh, Journey's End in 1930. And uh, he carried on acting through 1937 was his last credited role. 18 credits. He passed away in 1937. Yep, and he had passed away then. Yep, I saw that. So, yeah, a very, very interesting uh, gentleman. Now, I'm going to go with uh, the monster himself, Boris Karloff, because his his adaptation has become the Frankenstein that everyone thinks about when you think about you know Frankenstein's monster, or let's you know we all make the mistake and call the monster Frankenstein from time to time. Um, I, I've done a little bit of digging and seen did the monster ever take a name? And I know he, he refers to himself at times as an Adam, you know, as like a first created man, um, you know. So, but still, you know, the monster. Uh, but Boris Karloff, you know, the physicality, uh, the the inability, you know, to portray through speech, you know, these the, the emotions and and what he needed to to convey there. But uh, he he was phenomenal in that role. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of echoing that. You know, like I said, I mean, Karloff's version of the creature is my favorite, and I just think it's such an amazing performance. You know. No, you know, no, this makeup isn't high tech compared to even prosthetics like we grew up on in the in the 70s and 80s. OK, and these were very miserable, painful makeups that, that they had to use to build that brow and all those things. But he still brought that body language that we associate, that lumbering movement. But along with that, though, there is moments of joy. You know, before 
you know, the scene with Maria, just, just the joy he wants to play. He wants, you know, like a child, you know, and, and I think he brings that, but then you see the pain, the fear with the way Fritz torments him and, and Karloff brings all of that out. You know, like I said, it's the sequel before they actually let him speak. Uh, he does start to speak in bride a little bit, but you know, I think Karloff it, and Karloff even refers to the creature in interviews as his best friend. Um, you know, he always referred to the creature as his best friend. Um, and just, he brings such an kind of an empathy to the character that I think is in the book but just doesn't go far enough in the, these movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They focus more on the monster than the, mm-hmm. you know, than the being. Yeah. There. Yeah. True. All right. I'm up with best scene and, uh, <clears throat> really, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do something, uh, because I, I was going to be really mean and just say the best scene was the credits. <laughs> but, but really, you know, as, as, we're, as we're talking about this and, and we're, we're, we're doing things, one of the things that they did kind of adapt from the book, you know, was him rescuing the little girl. But they kind of juxtaposed that here. But um, I want to go to, you know, when he, when, when he and her are playing, throwing the flowers in the pond. You know, you, you see... Uh, you know, a, a hint of, you know, the the Frankenstein's monster from the book. You know, they they changed instead of rescuing the the young lady from the water, uh, as happens in the book, and it being misconstrued, he throws her in the water and kills her. So, um, but that's, uh, you know, that that little brief interchange there was was really beautiful. And I thought that was going to be my answer as well. Um, that scene played out very differently in my memory to when I rewatched it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a longer scene. I, th- I somehow remembered it being more involved. I'm, th- I'm thinking there was like a, a different version of this in another movie, and I conflated right. the two in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, on this watch, my favorite scene was the waking up of the monster. Um, and once again, it's just that that manic Colin Clive thing that's going on. I'm just <laughs> I I it's it's just it, I mean it's mesmerizing. <laughs> Um, and he, and you, you could just see like the levels of madness that his obsession has driven him to in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I love the way it plays out. So yeah, the, the waking up of the monsters, man. And you know, if, when you think about that, that creation scene, you know, Colin Clive's voice, the, the kind of the, the tone of his voice when he's screaming, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. And he's just, you know kind of falling around and they're trying to pick him up. I mean, that, that's an amazing, that is an amazing scene. And, and it's iconic. You know, I think with Maria, it's also iconic. Um, part of these, those cuts you're talking about, Jamie, are probably because they've edited this movie so many times and I had to put it back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene with Maria was cut out in a number of showings because people were like, you know, we don't want to see this little girl get thrown into the water type of deal. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so they could have tried to repair that film numerous times, and it could have caused some of those jumps. Okay. Um, the scene I went with was a little different, though. Even though I said that that the third act has some issues, I love the confrontation at the old windmill, and specifically, I love the way that James Well films the two characters, the Frankenstein and the monster, on each side of those gyrating gears of the windmill. 
And it almost creates almost like this mirror image uh, and shows how they're connected, but how they're two sides of, you know, this personality. And I just thought that was kind of neat. And it goes into that German expressionism and all the, the shadowing and stuff that was really popular at this time. Uh, plus, face it, we get angry villagers with pitchforks and torches. And that's another trope that that's just so common in horror movies now. So but I like that windmill scene. Yep. Yeah, those were all good. And, and, I, and, I, and I thought that the um, the him him like the way Cor- uh, Boris Karloff played the like the emotional part. He's not just he's clearly not just in pain because of the fire. He's also like, there's emotional torment going on there, and so yeah. I, I like the way that scene plays out as, yeah. as it ends as well. Yeah, he plays it much deeper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so Sammy, our next word is best character. All right, best character. I'm going with Dwight Fry as Fritz. Um, you know, the Hunchback Assistant. Once again, that trope that we see uh, talked about how he played Brenfield in Dracula already. Um, but there's so many overtones of this sadistic, torturous, evil person. And for me, that's really out of character for a movie from the 30s. You normally don't see that. It's usually more avant-garde films. Um, you know, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, those types of movies that have those feel, those feels to it. Uh, but Fritz was definitely that maliciousness that that has become iconic to the to the doctor's assistant. So I liked Fritz. Right. Well, I'm going to jump in and go next because mine's really dumb, and that Dwayne can land us on smarter than me. <laughs> so <laughs> my favorite character was Victor. Um, I just got a kick out of watching this guy because it was so clear that every single thing that man does in this movie is just to try to get that lady away from Henry. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I got I got a kick out of just watching him. Every single thing he does has a it's got a clear goal behind it, and he's not even subtle. He admits it to the lady. He admit, I mean, I just I enjoyed that. No, that was really dumb. Not Dwayne say something smart. <laughs> <laughs> him and his pencil thin mustache. <laughs> well, I hate to let you down, but uh, my uh, my favorite character was a. Uh, Played by uh, uh, one Marilyn Harris. It was a very young lady at this time, and she played Little Maria. Mm-hmm. And the reason Little Maria is my favorite character is she got tossed in the water and died and didn't have to go through the last part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I went dumb and you went mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's shift to best quote, and I'll go obvious this time. Um, so it's it's back to the creation scene, and so, you know, Henry's losing his mind. You know, he's screaming, look, it's moving, it's alive, it's alive! He's, he's freaking out. And then, uh, so Victor tries to calm him down, Henry, in the name of God! And I, I love, and this was a little, a, li- a little bit poignant, but Henry Frankenstein, and he's still, he's still manic, because, oh, in the name of God, now I know what it feels like to be a God. Uh, I... That was like, you know, that's kind of at the heart of what this movie is, you know, going for. You know, Henry wanted to create life. I mean, now it, it becomes just a monster movie and pitchforks and torches and all that. But um, that's what Henry was about, you know, and what he tries to, I think, a little bit repent of later. But, yeah, I just I enjoyed that. that it's over the top and it's manic and he's wild eyed. 
Um, I mean, if this was made in the sixties, I would have guessed something. Some substances were involved, but but it was it was an interesting quote, and I like the way he played it. Well, I think opium and uh, cocaine was actually legal uh, during this era, if I'm not mistaken. So it's hard to say. Clive, if I remember correctly, was known to uh, come on set a little tipsy from time to time. But yeah, I, I'm going exactly where, where you went, Jamie. Completely obvious because it is the iconic. It is the the impact throughout the ages. It's alive! You know, just that exclamation. Uh, once is enough. 50 times <laughs> isn't enough, you know, uh, just like, just like, uh, you know, uh, Henry uh, Frankenstein does here, but uh, yeah, that's, that's just, yeah, this, and, and, and really just for that impact that it has on, on what it does to the, to the genre and, you know, really all genres. You know, I, I mean, that, that is the iconic scene. Um, I chose a different one though. What I thought was interesting is, at the beginning of this movie, Edward Van Sloan comes out before the credits even start. And that had to be added in once again because audiences were so shocked. So when he goes, it is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It may even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to, um, well, we warned you, and then we go into it. And I just always thought that was so different from any movie to almost have a, a PSA at the beginning before your movie starts. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering where that came from because as as I was watching this, yeah, that was on that popped up, and I'm like, okay, is this guy going to be a narrator? Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, he's kind of doing a hop piece, disguised as a PSA, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like you want to scare your pants off. <laughs> we warned you. Yeah, I was kind of half expecting him to show back up at the end. Like after, like you know, as like a cap, you know, like or bookends or something. But yeah, right. I dug it. That was, that was a good one, Sammy. Yeah. All right, guys. It's draft time. Let's do it. All right. Okay. So on this one, we're doing, and we didn't set the ground rules very firmly. So I'm totally expecting one or three of us to cheat a little bit. Um, but we are drafting the best movie monsters. Oh yes. yeah. All right, so like I said, there's no ground rules, nothing explicit. So, Sammy, this is your pick. Get the top of the draft. Where are you going? What's your best movie monster? Oh, man, I am so glad I get to lead off because I get to go ahead and pull the Wolfman off the list because the Wolfman is my favorite monster of all time. And you knew that I agree with you, and you want to make sure you got it before I did. <laughs> That's like I said. I'm glad I led off on this one because I wanted to pull Wolfman. <laughs> and we know Wolfman has nards. So, 
Uh, a little bit behind the scenes there that was another one i considered for my pick for uh the halloween picks yeah for, for a movie to watch that was almost mine yeah um do i want you to go second or you want me to uh you go ahead all right well i already got sniped so i'm gonna snipe sammy back this isn't my real first choice but i'm doing this just to be mean back at him uh-uh. first choice creature from the black lagoon uh-huh. take that <laughs> yeah. That's a good Ooh. love creature I agree. <laughs> well, Sammy, Jamie, if you're going to pick a werewolf, you have to pick the best werewolf. An American werewolf in London. The werewolf from that film is the best werewolf. I knew somebody was going to cheat. Now the floodgates <laughs> are wide open. <laughs> Is that a cheat? That's a movie monster. <laughs> I thought we were doing Universal movie monsters, classic ones. So, oh, okay. no, I'm I'm also messing with you. I've got I've got clear cheats on my board here. I, I was wanting to be able to, I was supposed to be able to cheat first. <laughs> All right, guys, number two for me. Right. So um, I've already <laughs> talked about how the sequel is better than the original. So I've got to go with the bride for number two. Because Elsa Lanchester is just amazing as in The Bride of Frankenstein. So I've got to go with The Bride because the hair's cool. The whole look's cool. It's another iconic look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's another one scratched off my list. Who worked better, The Bride of Frankenstein or Don King? Sages for debate forever. Um... Okay, I'm up next, and uh, all right. So now, now Dwayne gave me permission to cheat a little bit, and so um, I'm gonna go with an entire um, genre of creatures. I'm gonna go with zombies. Okay. Dwayne doesn't like them, but I think they make for like really interesting, okay, like a, like a force of nature to have to be dealt with in a in a movie or story form. So, and they can almost just go back and like in The Walking Dead, there's like kind of like the setting, the thing that the actual story is playing off against. And so I just think, man, so wherever you want to go, maybe was, if I have to give a specific example, Night of the Living Dead, zombies. Oh, they're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to ask if there was a, a specific one you had in mind because there've been so many iter, iter, iterations of zombies. Yeah, uh, you have the, the the fast zombies, the slow zombies, the smart zombies. You know the the, the different things. There, I, I was wondering uh, if there was something specific that was triggering that. Yeah, you gave me permission. My my, my all time favorite <clears throat> is from Twenty Eight Days Later. I, I think they're, they're the, the re envisioning are, are terrifying. Yeah. yeah, they're terrifying. But for for the purpose of trying to win the draft, I'm going to go with that living dead. The more iconic. <laughs> Mm. <clears throat> Since we've already thrown out some cheats there, now I, 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 I don't consider this a cheat, but I'm, I'm afraid you guys may. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a different direction here. Um, I'm gonna go a super iconic, super iconic uh, monster and uh, Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, sir? 
<laughs> that is a good-natured, gentle creature. He's, he's a big, hairy guy. Hairy guy with sharp teeth, fangs, and claws. Kind of a monster. I mean, he's a nice guy, but he looks like a monster. Just don't play him at 3D Chase. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, the cheating is out of hand. Sammy, the floodgates okay. are beyond uh, wide open. All right. I've go- I, I went, I went, for me, classic Universal with Wolfman and Bride. I'm going to go a little bit later into the 50s for my last one. And I'm going to go from the Metaluda mutant from this island, Earth. Uh, big, huge brain. Pinch your hands, big rubber suit, but I love the design of the Metal and the Mutant. I've never even heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I'm seeing the, the thing with the big brain in uh, Mars Attacks. <laughs> There's some similarities it's, in it's the, Im- it's the imagery I'm getting with that. I was, I'm picturing the guys in, in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yes. All right. So now, now that all the gloves are off and <laughs> the bumpers are off, the bowling alley, I'm gonna go with Annie Wilkes from Misery. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a terrifying movie, and she is a terrifying human monster. Yeah. Yeah. That she her, Annie Wilkes is nightmare fuel. Kathy Bates is channeling the psycho. Oh, big time. Man, yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Come on in. It's <laughs> 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 a soothing ambiance we've got going on. Honk if you agree. Um, I guess I guess I'm gonna finish off my cheating big big bad in a big bad way here. Uh, a, a creature that was introduced in kind of a scary way, but a loving way. A buckbeak from uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban, the <laughs> hippogriff. <laughs> I think I broke Jamie again. <laughs> if we're going to Harry Potter, man, the biggest monster there is Dolores Umbridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who will be playing the queen in the new season of The Crown, by the way. So. Oh, I, I, I couldn't handle that. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. I'm done with that. <laughs> Well, those are good. Okay, okay. We've we've done our official draft. Any honorable mentions you want to make sure? Like things on your list that you just want to make sure got mentioned. Uh, well, for me, I mean, classic Lugosi Dracula yeah. definitely, you know, kind of fits the bill for sure. Um, and the two, two modern ones. If we were doing a more modern draft and not just <laughs> slinging stuff at the wall like we did, um, I feel like the Predator. Is a really good one, mm-hmm. and and the Xenomorph from the Alien movies. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Yeah. You know, there was a there was an, a monster that was a really big impact on me as a young man. I'm sure the movie was completely inappropriate to watch at my age, but uh, Swamp Thing was yeah. a killer yeah. design. I, I know it's just a rehash of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, very much updated though. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was still a ton of fun. Still a ton of fun. I mean, and you also have Godzilla and Kong. Yeah. And they're having a big resurgence, you know, as movie monsters. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure. and ask me about that. Like, where, where where do they fit on here? And I'm like, I don't know. It feels like cheating too much. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> and the things escalated. Well, you the know, I think there, there's so many cool creatures and designs. You know, Pumpkinhead is a fantastic design yes. in yes. terms of look and and fear factor. So, I mean, you know, you could go classic, you could go modern, either way. Well, a modern classic of acting. How in the world is he going to connect to this classic? Decades ago, they made this movie Frankenstein. Decades later, we have one Keanu Reeves. It takes the movie-going world by storm with The Matrix and John Wick. How does he connect to Frankenstein's monster? I have a prepared statement. <laughs> be prepared well, to be unimpressed. Reward, reward <laughs> is, is it notarized? <laughs> no. Nobody would approve. All right, here we go. 1931's Frankenstein had a bunch of sequels, and Sammy already stole my thunder. Um, oh, some of these sequels were more ill-advised than others. We've got The Bride of Frankenstein, The Son of Frankenstein, the Ghost of Frankenstein. See, Sammy stole my thunder. Sorry. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein. And then these are technically listed as official sequels as well. House of Dracula and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Those are all listed as official sequels. Keanu has also been in movies that have spawned sequels. And guys, it's not that lame. Give me a minute. Uh, for example, <laughs> Bill and Ted has sequels. The Matrix has sequels. That might be where you come in the ill-advised you know, section. You know, opinions vary. And we got John Wick, a whole series of sequels. But my favorite story regarding Keanu in sequels is Speed 2, which, like the ghost of Frankenstein, didn't even bring back the star. And somehow the producers thought we wouldn't notice that Jason Patrick is at Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Similarly, House of Frankenstein no longer had Boris Karloff as the monster having been replaced by Lon Chaney Jr., but he was now returning as the Mad Doctor. Boris Karloff switched roles, which means that we now need Speed 3 to happen, and we need Keanu to return as a completely different character. <laughs> the villain. So this week's Keanu connection is Boris Karloff in a completely hypothetical sequel to Speed 2. That is <laughs> the Keanu connection. <laughs> Best one yet. Yes. <laughs> and gentlemen, we, we've talked about my movie shelf. Every one of those you named, Jamie, are on my shelf. Oh, no. <laughs> Did you ever think Speed 3 was going to be a Keanu connection? <laughs> I've reached a new low. Sorry, guys. Sounds like Sammy's oh. intervention over here. No <laughs> <laughs> pick nine movies from 1931. <laughs> Oh, well, guys, I hope you have enjoyed uh, our review of Frankenstein more than some of us enjoyed watching it. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully as much as we've enjoyed talking about it, because this has been an absolute blast. And I love tearing into the uh, you know, the, the dichotomy of some of these movies, and the diversity of views that, that you can have. And uh, you know, even when the story isn't the same, 
as as we're expecting. You know, great things can come of it. And next up, we have one of my picks. Guys, I hope we're ready to be the last man, to be the Omega Man. I am legend. Will Smith, 2007, uh, plays the last man in New York City with a bunch of zombie vampire things tracking him and a dog. I can't wait to watch this uh, and discuss it with you guys. Um, if it's not on your shelf, which it should be, uh, you can stream it with a subscription to HBO Max. If you don't have that, you'll have to pay $3.99 for rental, Amazon, Voodoo, Redbox, and Apple. Surprisingly, they're all the same this time. Apple's not doing the dollar bump. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, $3.99, Amazon, Voodoo, Redbox, and Apple. Uh, or, you know, you can... Subscribe to the Hobo Max. And um, the only thing I would add before we jump out of here is that unlike Frankenstein, um, reading the story by Richard Matheson this is based on is is worth your time and won't ruin watching the movie for you. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I, know, I know you like going back and reading the story first, so this one's not going to ruin it for you. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. to get a little bit of backstory uh, with some of these things when it's available. So yeah, that's that's something, and and, and that's and this is a, a backstory I really need to check out. It's something I, I haven't yet, haven't before. And, it, and it's kind of like what I was talking about with um, all you need is kill. Uh, there's similarities, and the differences are interesting to compare <laughs> and contrast as well, because there there are things they they have very much adapt, and it's right. it's curious how that goes. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Well, guys, as we prepare for I Am Legend, Jamie, what are we going to do? Make sure we have our furry friend close by as we keep it nerdy. 